This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Ask Brothers Rant. Download all our content on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Enjoy. Welcome to this, an Ask Brothers Rantcast, and Ask Bros OG. Uh, and we are back. I think I already said we're back, Toby, but we are back. We're back for another loss, another, I don't know, cathartic conversation about, you know, the Arsenal Football Club and everything that's going on. But I think, Toby, really today we're going to do something along the lines of, like, debunking people's perceptions of certain players because, mate, I know you're not very active on Twitter. I am, you know, for the channel. I I, I am obviously go on there and share and converse with people. But take, mate, I've got to tell you. it for the team because I won't go on to that set. Yeah, and Manny won't, Manny won't either. But I've got to tell you, not that I ever like telling Arsenal fans that or, or think that I have the right to tell Arsenal fans that their opinions are wrong. But I do think that there is a just a, a how do I put this in a nice way? A huge amount of groupthink out there, and a huge amount of people who are watching games with preordained agendas, and then instantly taking the result as the driver for how they look at the performance of the players, rather than looking at the individual performance of the players within those kind for of sure, metrics. For sure, and it, and it like we all do it, but it's all a form of confirmation bias anyway, because. If you look for an outcome, I like that beer, by the way. If you look for an outcome before it happens and then it does happen, then it's justified for your perception. So I, re- I realize we, we do it in all different um, facets of life, but um, abs- absolutely. Like if you look for an agenda in a game, you'll probably find it and you'll find a justification. Fuck off. Um. Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely. Every time my phone cannot go off all day, and then as soon as we start a podcast, it, it fucking. It Sod's fucking law, starts. mate. Always happens. Sod's law. Sod's law, Toby. Sod's law. Uh, hello to Big Steve. Join us in the comments. I've been chatting to Big Steve all day. Uh, we've, we've been talking about a couple of stuff, a couple of uh, stupid comments. So, Big Steve, I'll put your banner up. Chubby for the kids. Big Steve, big up, man. Um, Toby, so. A basic roundtable conversation about the Everton game. Um, I watched that game. I was nervous during that game, more so than I have been in in recent games. I think I was nervous because I I felt like we were in the game for pretty much the entire game. Um, I finished up and I jumped online and I, I think I sent you a message and I put up a tweet and I said, well, that confirms it that Mikel Arteta hasn't lost the dressing room because I thought there was pretty much 11 players out there on the field who had given it their all. It hadn't come off them, but the energy was up. The effort was up and and it was against a good team at Goodison where we were undone by an own goal and a set piece from a, a, a big man making a run to the inside post, which is, is something that can happen. But Toby, I thought that that was, I, I think... People called me a fucking idiot, but I said I thought that was the best Arsenal performance of the season without winning a game. Hmm. Yeah, look. Uh, I mean, I'll, sorry, I'll, that's a, I'll, it's I'll a low, Toby, it's a low bar. Can I just say that to start with? It's a low bar. So before people start jumping in the comments and saying we weren't particularly good, I just meant from an effort perspective and from a tempo perspective, especially in that second half, I thought it was the best game of the season. Yeah, and and you're right with the low bar, but considering where we've been at um, and to go to a team that just beat Chelsea and just beat one other top team, who was it? Save me, please. Anyway, they've had two big wins in a row. It might have been Leicester, Leicester and Chelsea, um, two two games in a row um, and are on a pretty significant run of form. you know, we really should have got a point out of that game, and it's our own, um, it's our own fear, and we, and and, we deserved, and our own... deserved a point. Correct, correct, and and potentially more, potentially more. You know, I didn't think they came at us that well. I thought we held our own. They they really 
fucked us in the first half with their desire and aggression, but we we stayed in it. Um, and like you said, apart from you know a deflected own goal, um, you know, and and a headed finish which was disappointing, um, and Louise hitting the the post, you know, it's we should have gone away with at least a point. So in terms of the actual um, desire and dedication from the players. This certainly isn't a team that's laid down the tools, you know, as people would mm. like to would like to say. So that certainly is promising. In terms of what you were saying about being nervous with the game, I was rocking out a constipated shit like Arsene Wenger, you know, back and forth. You know, it really was. Um, it was it was a difficult watch second half because if we didn't get that early goal in the second half, that you know, then that pressure. Builds, and I think that's what we saw towards the end with us. You know, eighty percent possession, really knocking down the door. And bar evidence, evidence, six men behind the fucking ball. You know, very hard to break down any team, especially any decent team, uh, when they're going to put that many players behind the ball. And that's what happens mm. when you you are on a bit of a higher ebb and you take your opportunities early, or something comes off you and you know one goes in off Holdings' foot from what was a pretty average Calvert-Lewin header. He pretty much misses it, scuffs it. Fucking great you know, cross from Wobes, but yeah, it was pretty average yeah, header. Yeah, yeah, but you know, average header and it comes off Rob Holdings' foot and it is what it is. You know, I, I said to you at the start of this show, Toby, that I felt like. Every single Arsenal fan or most of the Arsenal fans, and I know well, look, we've got some great fans on here and some great people that we interact with who, who definitely didn't all see it this way, but the, the general kind of vibe, it's about the vibe, it's about Mambo, um, but the, the general kind of vibe that I got was that regardless of whether it was a Mambo, fuckhead, not Mambo. What did I say? Well, fucking, I don't know. <laughs> Fuck you, cunt. Anyway. Any Australian, anyway. any Australians know what I was trying to say. Um, anyway, you know, I, I did get kind of the, the vibe, even looking through like a lot of our group chats and stuff at halftime, that it wouldn't have mattered what, say, someone like Willian did because the bed's made. It wouldn't matter if he had a half-decent game or not. The bed's made. He played, therefore he's shit. We lost because Willian played, therefore he's shit. Let's all fucking pile on him. And, you know, I've been piling on on – Willian as well because his performance had been poor, um, but I I didn't think he was terrible in this game. I actually had him in in my positive points, which I know a lot of people have been like, "You're fucking insane," but so many people called me insane, Toby, that I rewatched that second half to confirm what I thought I'd seen the second half. That I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch for us in the second half. Well, Again, you, you've said in the second the... half a number of times. No, though, no, no. And... But the thing isn't. But the thing is, Toby. In the first half, he doubles up down that wing and he works his fucking hole off. You can't just sit there and say Willian is shit when the mandate of Arteta in this game away from home was to go back to three at the bank, three at the back, get the wingers to come back deep. He's already got Pepe miles up on the pitch. And this is what I mean. I don't think that enough people when they're watching the game start taking into account like the game situation and what's happening and the fact that we're away from home. They just look at it and say, oh, he's shit, he's shit, he's shit. It's like this stat that's been going around about Sabios, Toby, saying, oh, well, he's only got three assists and one goal. And it's like, do you think he's a number 10? Do you think he's a winger? Do you think he's a forward? He's a connective midfielder. I'm not surprised that he doesn't have those stats. Now, has William been disappointing from an output perspective? Yeah, has he been bad in most fucking games that I've watched him in? Yeah, but he wasn't bad in this game. And the thing I found interesting was how everyone still managed to find a way to fucking pile on him because their agenda is now set on him and they can't see through it. People need to stop watching the game with their agendas in place and start watching the game, each individual game as a new game, and looking at the system, looking at the output, looking how these guys play. In the second half, William played probably four or five of the best balls that led to opportunities for us, but apparently is fucking garbage still. Can I talk yet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just um, doing a Toby fucking monologue. You're no different. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, now, I would argue, I reckon you're somewhere in a ballpark and, and you're speaking some truth, but like, you know, there's a little bit of truth in it, in anything. Um I don't think he was – I thought he was pretty poor first half. You might say he was doubling down, you know, and doing his defensive job. 
absolutely. Fair enough. I thought he paid Theo Walcott lip service to closing down the space on a Wobi, which ultimately led to the goal. And that is a lack of desire. And that is what us fans have really, um, really called him out on in terms of his motivation for, for our club coming from Chelsea. Now, I know we don't like to only uh, score or rule on, on moments because, you know, a match is made up for, for a lot longer than that. But when we're in the position that we are in against an opposition that never loses a one-on-one or a chance to chop us down or close the space, which Everton all did, I found the picture of Willian trotting over and paying lip service to closing down that space against Awobi infuriating and it was really hard to not to not view him negatively from that point. Hmm. But okay, what I'm saying so, is I think that no, people no. see that incident and then apply that to his entire 90 minutes and don't Correct. look at the period of Correct. time where he moved into that more midfield inside channel position and looked good. Now, in terms of the second half, I thought playing on the left, particularly when Saka went over to the right, and being able to play more of a 360 degree, I think he's better coming in off his left and onto his right and cutting back in. You know, I mean, we've been hearing that's not what he did for, for Chelsea, but I certainly remember him playing quite a lot on the left or that inside left channel over there. Um he certainly looked better with a bit more freedom and being more of a linking player than an out-and-out winger. So, you know, I, I don't have the knowledge of watching Willian closely enough over the years because he was a Chelsea player and he was a cunt. And anyone who played for Chelsea was a cunt in my mind, particularly the way they played for so long. So I wasn't analysing his game the way I would now. Um, but he did have a good second half. He did skip around. He did play some lovely little balls. You know, it's just as a team, we're lacking we're lacking end product. So, you know, do we really need to discuss him more? Yeah, no, look, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be like anyone in the comments. You know, I'm not having a big Willian love fest and saying that I thought he was really, really, really good. I just thought he was really not bad. And, and, I guess the, the the purpose of the conversation comes back to what I said at the start of the show, Toby, that there seems to be this kind of set preordained ideas of what someone either is or isn't going to do. And then it seems like everyone's just sitting there and waiting. It's a bit like the Rob Holding syndrome at the moment. I keep seeing all these people on all these podcasts talking about Rob Holding not being good enough. And I'm like, Rob Holding's been one of our most consistent players all year. But if you isolate him and turn him, he's going to look slow. And it's almost like people wait for that moment in the game when he gets isolated and turned. And then they focus in on that one area. And because that one thing happens, he's immediately shit. Mm. Not the fact that he's got the most clearances, the most defensive tackles, uh, the highest. he's got a higher passing percentage than Gabriel. He's got more balls into the final third this season than Gabriel. He's won more headers than Gabriel, won more tackles than Gabriel. Like the stats get, but because Gabrielle is a shiny new toy and Rob Holding is something that we already know and is something that we've already seen, it's just amazing how the fan base make these ideas and and put these things together um, and then just just like exponentially fucking grow it. So it's just something interesting mm. because mm. we do our three, two, ones, now one, two, threes. Um, and but most of us, you, me, and Mike were quite similar, actually. In our, actually, all of us were quite similar in what we what we saw. It, but there just was this one difference that, you know, a couple of people thought William was really bad, and I just didn't think he was that bad. So on to the next part of it. The fuck is that? And um, on to the next part of it, Toby. The next sort of things I wanted to talk to. So I figured I would do like negative, positive, negative, positive, because we'll try and balance it. Um. I thought that by a fucking mile, and strangely on a lot of the online polls for man of the match, like a Saka keeps coming up as man of the match. A couple of people had Tierney as man of the match. And I thought it was funny because, you know, the negative biases I was talking about, some of the positive biases exist there within the fan base as well, where they're so obsessed with, you know, a certain player or two certain players. They just look for them and everything good they do is fucking gold dust. Mm. Um, But... Hensley Maitland-Niles for me, who ended up with, I think on the Arsenal, I think it's the official Arsenal one, 
um, ended up with like less than 13% of the fucking vote for man of the match was man of the match by a fucking mile. I would almost argue maybe outside of like cup final semi-final that's maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles best overall performance I've seen in Arsenal shirt. Absolutely fucking bummed Richarlison and really ultimately bummed Hector Bayer in because he was better than him in every single fucking facet. Yeah, well, talking about an overly positive bias, I mean, I gave Maitland-Niles man of the match in the previous game and you thought I was fucking batshit crazy. So that potentially could have been me projecting what I like about his game as, as well. So horses for courses with that. We know we know Saka's the golden child. He runs himself to the point of cramp every single game. He's the only one that has the balls to actually try something from nothing. So we rely on him exponentially um, as, as a team. But... For for me, I was really heartened to see particularly the second half performance from Maitland-Niles. I thought we were all a bit safe in the first half, and so was he. He was probably criticised with the previous game for not, for not converting enough passes, regardless of whether he was under pressure. I think he was down at about 60% or something like that. Um, but he was under huge pressure the previous game. Um, whereas this one, I felt like maybe settling into the game a little bit more, playing it a bit safer in the start. But what a second half performance. And, you know, the the ability to, you know, for to not just do one of the of the facets, to use that term again, of defending, he has the sprint speed to chase back against a powerhouse like Richarlison. You've got the stand-up defending as well and the positional awareness, yeah, when to go and when not to go. And then you also had a situation of real silky passing skills and ability to keep the ball in tight spaces playing in that sort of pseudo-midfield role and his partnership with Pepe. But then from the attacking third perspective as well, when people were really struggling at the end of the game, and he actually looked calm. He might look a bit Bob Marley sometimes, but his character seems to grow as the game gets harder. And and I think that's a real that's a real um, sort of microcosm of his personality. And and in terms of his best games have always been against the best teams because that's what inspires him. You know, whether it's a self confidence thing, whether it's um, just an ability to to win or, or a desire thing, you know, and he steps up accordingly. But the affecting of the game um, in terms of his overlapping runs and crossing started to become even more paramount, paramount alongside, you know, one-on-one sprints and last-ditch tackles with Richarlison. So to me, that's, that's a very nice um, addition that we haven't seen in our team for a while. Mm-hmm. His ability to go shoulder to shoulder and not foul. So his ability to even like give a little bit of space to his opposing winger and know that he's going to get the recovery speed and go shoulder to shoulder without going shoulder to shoulder lunging. Um, I guess that's part of his stand-up tackling, his ability to stand-up tackle, both stand-up front-facing tackle and also stand-up tackling in retreat. I think the thing with Ainsley is he doesn't go to ground very often. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of, I know Mike and guys that, you know, they're always pulling up Bayer in, always pulling up Mustafi for going to ground, going to ground. And that's because they're so far out of position that that's the last thing that's available to them. The thing I find with Ainsley is his athleticism and his size and his power, it puts him in a position to be able to make the stand-up tackle. He's not in a position where he's five yards away from it and the cross is coming in. He's on Richarlison. He's shoulder to shoulder with him. And he's like, I'm just going to coast you out. I'm going to make this cross difficult for you without diving in. And I definitely think, Toby, in the last game, Ainsley played as a right back. uh, And I think he struggled a little bit more as a right back. In this game, he played as a wing back with the three centre backs Mm -hmm. and the Tierney, which means he does operate almost as a right-sided midfielder at times with the ball and then get back and pull in. Which is probably his natural position when you think about it. Like he he would probably be quite a good right side of a 4-4-2 or or right side of a three-man midfield. I'd love to see that one day. But anyway, go on. 
But I've been saying for a long time, Toby, I think that Bayerin is a better right back than he is a wing back. And I've correct. always thought that AMN yep. is a better wing back than he is a right back. So we also have this correct. kind of yep. slight issue. So if we're playing in a four, I would rather see Ainsley on the right-hand side or the left-hand side, for that matter, of a midfield three. And if we're playing in a five, I'm quite happy for him to either take up the Saka position on the left or take up the Bayerin position on the right. Um, but these these performances that he's had in Europa, then transferring them into the last two games, I know I, I wasn't very pleased with him in the prior game because his passing percentage was really poor. Um, I think it was down in the 50s for the first half. And, and like you said, it might have been a bit of a dichotomy of everyone like booting the ball forward and trying to find long spread balls. Um, but that's why I ended up not liking that performance. In this game, I was at the end of it incredibly buoyed by his performance, his size, his physicality, and how he sort of changes the dynamic of the team. And um, a player that's definitely, well, I mean, not online has kind of split opinions because everyone seems to think that he's fucking shit, um, but has split opinions within the Ars Bros is Eddie Niketia. And um, so I said after that game, Toby, so let me preface this. I negative Eddie, right? I gave him either negative one or negative two. I think you gave him negative one. But I said in my comments, you have to negative a striker when he's not taking opportunities because his his job is to be a striker, right? That's his role, is to go and score those goals. Uh, and that one he snatches at that gets pushed back to him was was pretty bad. But let me say this. Eddie Nketi are running around. Eddie Nketi are pressing. Eddie Nketi are pulling defenders out of position makes the wingers in the team better and allows the midfield to come up and stand higher as he drives lines back. I know he's not a world-class finisher. I'm not saying he's not a world-class... I'm not saying he is a world-class finisher and I'm not saying I think that he's the answer. What I'm saying is I'm sick of that little pussy-ass bitch Aubameyang walking around kicking fucking stones, waiting for someone to put it on a platter for him and then as soon as the chips are down, he fucking disappears again shit before his goal, what was it, against Burnley? Was it against Southampton? Shit before his goal against Southampton and then fucking shit as soon as someone went off. I would rather go have Eddie playing there and think that Eddie is going to make the people around him better than sit there and watch Obama and continue to do what he's done. It's almost like I was saying the other day, if you put Eddie's work rate with Lacazette's fight and Aubameyang's finishing, you might have a chance of having a decent fucking striker. But instead, everyone just slagged him off and said he was fucking shit. Me and Steve were having this conversation. We were like, isn't it interesting that when Aubameyang doesn't score and doesn't take his chances, it's because the service is shit and the players around him are bad. But when Eddie doesn't score and doesn't take his chances but works his fucking hole off, it's because Eddie's shit. But... uh... (laughs) This is the narrative, Max, and and this is part of, you know, and and w- we, as people that you, I, I don't want to use the term pundits, but as people that, you know, that that make content um, about Arsenal, we, we're part of the problem, but it it is the reactionary nature, you know, and and Scunny Mike's calls it a fifty fifty, I call it a, you know, a black and white a right or wrong, a good and bad, a fight to the death. And I keep saying this, and I'm a bit of a broken record, but that is a reflection of society at the moment and in particular a reflection of how we are as people on on social media. So I think there's there's a, coming back to the point, there's a reason why people start to obtain a groupthink with someone like, with Eddie. It's not, it's not, showing it's not saying that he is the best striker in the world or that he's a, a an accomplished um attacker at the moment he's a pretty good goal poacher um he lacks a bit of size at the moment so he struggles to hold up the ball but i think what you're saying is the the work rate and the ability to open up space is for our front three exactly what's been lacking Okay, if you're a midfielder, so so the the emphasis on us has certainly gone towards our central midfield as our biggest problem. But if you have no movement in front of you, 
then you don't have anything to aim at, let alone to hit a ball that runs through the lines. So you remember certain players who that you don't think uh, are amazing. So I'll bring up your bum boy, Theo. Okay. So a guy, all right. So a guy that is a very low touch player, but constantly stresses a defense throughout the game. And ultimately by dragging those players out of positions, two or three chances will arise. And it, it's that that comes down to your percentage of, of, of finishing or your ability to, um, to impose yourself in the final third. With Eddie, what he's doing is he's using his youth, his speed, and his exuberance and his ability to follow direction and try and prove himself. So the hunger to be flying around across that front three and dragging players out of position. Now, when you've got players inverted forwards, and that's a discussion to have with Saka, by the way. Um, when you have inverted forwards who can come in, who do you think is making that space by pulling those defenders out of position? Yeah, oh, exactly. Exactly, Big Steve. I, what? Was that a question? You just stopped or did you cut out? I don't know. No, no, no. Well, we were responding to to Big Steve's oh, comment. Okay. Of- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Professional as always. I have weird thing happen in my microphone. You just went like, um, yeah. No, I, t- Toby. I totally agree. And there's a thing though. I was talking to Steve about this as well. I think it would be really interesting to watch Eddie live and watch Aubameyang live, not on TV, where the cameras only follow the person that has the ball. Because something I noticed with Eddie that, well, something I noticed with Aubameyang and his complete lack of movement, it's why I've started calling him a pussy ass bitch, right? I know I've been trying to fucking wind people up on Twitter, but I really, I really am getting to that point with him where he doesn't have any fight. You know, I wouldn't say that Aubameyang is a fair weather player because he's done it against big teams for us, but he's definitely a good time guy and he's definitely a guy who either needs to be firing or feeling like he's the man. And I don't know whether all the constant tweets of like sign the ting, sign the ting, sign the ting towards the end of the year, like gave him that thing that he needs that swelled his balls up for him to run. Cause it's the same fucking team and the same fucking tactics as it was when he was scoring goals. He's just not taking his opportunities, but something I get really frustrated when I watch Aubameyang and as a center forward or as a winger in both cases, I get really frustrated, but less as a winger is the fact that even if you're not going to get the ball, if you're not going to receive the ball, if the pass isn't going to come to you, there is a run to be made that occupies the defender. Now, whether that's a run across the face to pull a defender across to open up the space between a wing back and a centre back that allows someone like Saka to come and operate inside that channel, which then allows Tierney to operate outside of him, where then you've got the drag backs on, the byline ball is on. I found Mm. that with Eddie in the he relentlessly made that run. He would bend a run into out. He would bend a run across the face. He'd make a run to the back post, even though he's never going to win that header against those giants, but it's not the point. He's there. And that's why he gets so many of those tap-ins as well, because he makes that run. And when something comes off, he is there to just pick up the pieces and knock it in. But I think there's a, a, a mentality that because he doesn't have that incredible efficient finishing that he's somehow not as good as Oba, right? And I know that Aubameyang is a better player, but what I'm trying to say is Aubameyang is a better player in the incidents where he gets one-on-one with the goalkeeper. We saw that in front of Southampton. But does Oba make the wingers better at the moment as a centre forward? No. Does he link the play with his back to goal? No. Does he play at a high tempo? No. Does he drop in and play little wall passes as a as a midfielder is wanting to go one two or go past him? No. In fact, his goal against Southampton was essentially inside channel, and Saka makes it, and Eddie creates it by coming back in and across and playing that open touch, open touch, one touch pass through to over. Well, not so one person. Let me finish. Let me finish just quickly because I, I I'm, I'm on a roll, but I find it really interesting that the same people who want to see Balogun play who say, how good has he been in Europa, are the same people who are saying that Eddie is shit in the Premier League when where Eddie has looked good and scored his goals is in the same fucking place that Balogun has. You know, 40 minutes of football for fucking Balogun versus, you know, loan moves and how many fucking moves for Eddie and all of that hard work. I just think that there is a, a narrative now against Nketiah 
that exists that apparently won't happen to Balogun, but apparently Eddie is shit, but apparently Ober doesn't have the service. Until it happens to Balogun, because that's how our fans operate. You know, and if you, you go round and round and round and round, and I, I, if you spray a machine gun around enough times, everyone will get hit. And that's just the way we operate. So what, what we're doing is we're, we're honing in our frustration of the club. And each week we change our mind about which player is the problem that's creating the whole downturn of the last decade about our club. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and, and this is what I mean about this relentless destruction of, of our players and, and targeting certain players and believing once one certain player goes, then we won't be shit anymore. And I'm not saying be an uber-positive fan and get behind everyone because there's certain players that, that should be accountable and, and have fucked up far too many times over the years. But it's also completely non-productive to be dismissing players who are learning their trade and coming up through your youth system because you're trying to make them the be-all and end-all. Mm. It just, it, it, honestly, it just doesn't make any sense. At the moment, one of the reasons that I'm not as, like, I wouldn't say I'm not frustrated, but one of the reasons that I'm not bouncing off the walls and, and getting angry and saying everything shit is because this is one of the most I've ever been behind Arsenal. Because we've come through a good time, we've gone through a period of transition, and now we've got this whole bunch of exciting youthful players that are that some that we've bought in that are so different from the Arsenal players of the past, you know, hard running, aggressive, tough, prickly. We haven't had those players for years, yeah? And then we've got this really interesting mix of kids that have come up through our youth system who everyone says aren't good enough right now, but they've got the potential to be good but enough. But they're not good enough, Toby, unless we haven't seen them except for 40 minutes in Europa, and then they're apparently the saviour of a fucking team. Yeah, but but, but 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 that's that's us or people projecting again. I mean, of, of course I was excited by Balogun's turn and finish, but then, you know, the, the next game he came on for a little bit longer. Toby, do you, remember the last kid, do you remember the last kid to come on on debut? Was Niketia. Fucking Niketia. Two goals in Norwich. the fucking Premier League. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah. this, it's this thing. It's like so I was talking to someone today and they were like, oh, my God, we're going to lose to Niketia to Liverpool. Shame on us. And I tweeted, I was like, sorry, not Niketia. We're going to lose Balogun to Liverpool. Shame on us. And I was like, maybe Balogun just wants to fucking play for a good team under a good coach and not play in this fucking shit shambles of a team. And, Toby, do you know what will happen if he gets signed by Liverpool? He'll be put straight the fuck out on loan because he will get nowhere near that team. There'll be no early rounds of Europa for him to play. And if he hangs around there, he might be lucky to get a couple of League Cup games. No, no, so correct. if he decides to go to Liverpool, he won't be going for first-team football, you fucking retards. He will also he will be, be going far... to play for a better club. He will also be far further away from a first-team appearance. Far further away. Absolutely. I just, I, just think it's, I just think it's mental. I think, look, one thing, I'm not saying that I wouldn't like to see Balogun on an extended bench, right? I'm not saying that at all. But I'll tell you when you bring Balogun on, Toby. You bring Balogun on after 70 minutes when Arsenal are 2-0 up in a game and are dominating the same way they brought him on in games in Europa League where we're already dominating. You don't bring a fucking kid on who's never he's never been out and alone. He's never played championship football. He's never played Premier League football. He's never played fucking FA Cup football against top opposition. He's got two fucking games for us, and one of them's against Rapid Vienna, and one of them's against Dundalk. But mm. the dismissal of Eddie Nketiah, who has played for us at that level, who has scored goals for us at FA Cup, I'm no Eddie fan. I've been on here plenty of times saying I don't think he's good enough. I never think he'll be good enough. But the stupidity of thinking that you're going to bring someone in like Balogun and that it won't fucking burn him and that you're going to say, not only do I want to bring you in the team, but I want to bring you in the team as the saviour of a team that's packed with a $300,000 pound a week striker who can't score and a $180,000 pound a week striker that can't score. And you think that that's going to have a good effect on him. You think that's going to be fucking good for him. And, and, and those two players, you've got one with a tight quad or hamstring 
and Lacazette, who's actually been benched now because Arteta knows that Eddie's output, not necessarily goal threat, but Laka doesn't score anyway, but at least his work rate and ability to cover the ground and move defenders out of position is better than having an aging striker before his time who's now starting to play as a pseudo number 10. So don't forget yep. that that Eddie has actually been preferred to Lacazette. And then at the moment, Aubameyang, whether he's having a spell because he's mentally fucked at the moment, he can't drag this team forward, or whether he's genuinely injured. Now, I'll bring us to a point now, which is part of the Balogun discussion. We haven't actually mentioned Martinelli and the pathway to that first team. So would you Thank be you. saying now Balogun is the answer or has someone like Martinelli who's earned his stripes in the Cups and a few Premier League appearances, are we going to be trying to feed in players now who haven't earned that? So I realise Balogun has been exciting for a couple, of, a couple of finishes. He's got quite a manly physique, all of that stuff. But really... And, and don't forget there's a pecking order in a club. No one realises or no one talks about the culture of leaders and men and people that have earned their stripes in order to have those first teams. Like, you should hold that first 11 or first 13 as, like, a cherished thing to get that first team appearance, not expect it when you're 16 or 17 and you've knocked in a couple Think of goals. Think about Emile Smith-Rowe coming through our squad in Europa League early rounds last year, coming in, scored a couple of bangers, still got put out on loan. I just think it's, I, Toby, I just think it's Arsenal fans now just holding on to something, just saying, I need something, go get this Balogun kid in. And I'm not saying, guys, that I'm not excited by Balogun. I'm not saying that I don't think Balogun at this age demographic doesn't look better than Eddie. I think he looks better than Eddie at the same age profile. You know, I think he's probably ahead of Eddie at the same age profile. But the situation we're in, with Martinelli coming through as well, you know, it's like people talk about, oh, well, Willian blocking Saka or, or you know, anyone blocking anyone. And it's like, you know you've got Martinelli coming through. You know you've signed Aubameyang on those numbers. We were so excited about Martinelli. So what, you're going to start playing Balogun and, and stop Martinelli's pathway coming back into the team. And I would argue that Martinelli is a far superior player in every facet. We saw that even coming back in his first game from an ACL, his technicality, his ability, 15 Mm. minutes, fucking better than anyone on the pitch. You know, I remember going and watching people like Chuba Akpom and thinking Chuba Akpom at both under 21s. Do you remember when we took Akpom away for the preseason? And he, he, he looked so good. Yeah, the he American tour. Yeah. Shit out of the American teams. Yeah. Absolutely put him in the ass. Mm. Came into the Premier League, wasn't ready, never did it. I think he's actually coming back to, to Prem or Championship now from AAC. Actually, there's, someone's just written something about Akpom here. Russell Brill. Akpom had an amazing youth record, but never made it in the first team. So, guys, I'm not saying. Well, like and also, what, Jay Simpson, players like that, like they looked fucking yeah. shit hot. For all of those guys listening, I am not anti-Balligan. I am not pro-Eddie Nketiah. I just don't think that the way forward for this team, that the way you fix this team is to go and throw Balligan in there as a young man with no premiership experience ever and say, go drag us out of this. Play him in the Cups. And then, and then we should play draw a line exactly the way he's being played, Toby. This is what you do with a 19-year-old. You play him in the early rounds of Europa. You play them in the League Cup. You give them minutes late in the game when you're either in the ascendancy or you're fucking three goals down, right? I, I, I don't see how people can get this so fucking wrong. Like, it's driven me nuts this week. I'm like, enough of it. I'm, I'm sick of listening to it. So... We'll move on. Now I've alienated literally everyone in the comments who are like screaming for Balogun. I love you all. Ask bros for life. Um, uh, Next facet to talk about, Toby, Uh, David Louise coming back into the team. The much maligned David Louise, the much disliked David Louise, you know, even our fellow ask bros who have said he's shit and he's a terrible signing and he's this and he's that. Um, him on the ball again in a back three. I don't like him in a back two. I do like him in a back three. You and I have had this conversation before. Him dancing into midfield, him picking up the ball and walking into midfield and passing it, which actually allows Sabios to get a little bit further forward in front of him and he actually steps in and makes up another number. I thought that made a huge difference to the way that Arsenal progressed the ball. We still struggled in the final third, but the way we got the ball out from the back 
we looked a lot more assured. We looked like we had a lot better options. And I thought that it was something that we had massively missed. And if it's not going to be Louise, then it's definitely something that we have to replace within the Arsenal squad. Yeah, I, I think ball progression from the final, um, from our um, defenders or our central defenders is really important to the way we play. And I'll say it again, there's players in the past that we've despised defensively that have been bought because defenders in the modern game are the ones that start attacks. Am I right? Mm. So previously, once again, Yuva Marlins, not the best defender, very small. Yeah? Yeah. Koscielny's, you could argue the same. Very. Your Mustafis that were absolutely bought from Stats DNA because they affected the game that Wenger wanted at the time, not just from a defensive, but from an attacking sense. So David Luiz will always polarise because he's a, he's a Chelsea player. He represents a lot of our flawed transfer policy and dealings. Um, when the inevitable defensive error happens, we'll all turn around and say, I told you so. Um, and so in answer to your question, so I always get distracted by your pop-ups, um, David Louise coming back into the team and being able to progress the, fo- the ball forward is something that we needed. In saying that, I thought Gabrielle had done a good job in that exact same position in the mm-hmm. previous game. Slightly different, though, I noticed. The way Gabrielle does it and the way Louise does it. I like the way that Louise... So Gabrielle is a power runner and he sort of gets forward into those positions, but his actual... So he drives into the same positions as Louise, but his actual decision-making once he gets into that position isn't fantastic. One of the things I thought was really fantastic about Louise is... uh, About what Louise did is once he got into that position his thought was to put the ball in front of someone. I don't know if you saw, he was fucking screaming at El Nene, screaming at him and had enough of him, kept bumping the ball back to him. And that's going to be the next person that we talk about today. So we've only got a few minutes. We're on a tight timeline. But I did want to talk talk about El Nene quickly. Toby, I wrote in the comments. I wrote in the comments, that's his level. That's what you're going to get from El Nene. I know you've got people in the comments like Ryan who have been lauding him as this fantastic player. We called him El Sidewaysy for a long time. Then we saw him paired up with Thomas Party, who provided all the running for him and allowed him to just sit in his hole and break up and do what he needs to do. Toby, he's not good enough. He's never going to be good enough. We need someone better than him. Any other arguments with me for that? No, no. And and it's El Sideways and El Backwards and El Safety First. And... You're you're absolutely right. With with Partey, El Nene was an actual. He was a solution. He was he he was he was a solution because as you said, Partey provided the the running and he could be the fulcrum. He he could sit back. He could be uh, quite positionally sound, just like Arteta asks Xhaka to do to not leave a space. When you have someone as slow as Sabios as your partner. We wanting a gazillion touches on the ball, and you've got two of them. Sabios at least attempts to progress the ball, but El Neni just wants to keep the ball, and then he passes the burden onto the central defenders. Now, I I don't remember yelling and getting as frustrated like I'm watching a bloody game of rugby league as I was this game against Everton at El Nenny for being a coward. So when when I'm like bursting a fucking blood vessel and my kids are turning around going, what are you doing? Like you're scaring me because I've got eyes fucking pumping out of my head and I'm yelling till, you know, I lose my voice. That's what I was feeling towards El Nenny because the the relentless safety first approach, when we're, we're literally running out of seconds, to win the game and that's all you're doing is playing the safety and passing the buck onto someone when really as a midfielder it's your job to be a good passer and to be able to press the ball as well as maintain possession so exactly when he was signed as a five million pound player as squad filler that's exactly what he is now okay you know and anyone who thinks he's the solution 
His level is in the Cups. His level is even in a defensive-based team. I, I don't mind playing El Nenny when we do come up against big, tough, hard opposition where we're not going to have a lot of the ball and we do just need to recycle. But anything that involves any sort of running, any sort of forward thinking, any sort of incisive passing, that's not his level. So, you know, people like Ryan in the comments calling him the Egyptian Pirlo. Ryan, give yourself a fucking uppercut. Um, <laughs> I, I love how Ryan here is like, he's the perfect squad player. You haven't been saying that for weeks, mate. You've been talking about him being the perfect player, the most underrated player in the Any, league. Anyone but Jacker, don't forget. Yeah, I'm not, here to, I'm not here to pile on El Nenny, Toby. In fact, I'm not here to pile on anyone this week because no. I thought I actually thought except for El Nenny, generally the 10 players had all done quite well against a good Everton away at Goodison. I think if we were sitting in eighth and Everton were in sixth and we went and played that exact game and lost to that scoreline, I don't think Arsenal fans would be going mental. I don't think they'd be saying people had terrible games. I just think it's the circumstances. And I think people are looking at the outcome and then making the outcome lead what they think of the performances after the game. One of the things that I do, Toby, and, and you know, obviously we do this, but a lot of other people don't do this, is we write notes during the game. You'd be amazed how many good things, how many good comments I had during this game where I was like, that's much better. That's much better. That ball is better. That one-two is better. There's a triangle on the left. Pepe is trying to do this. I had things written down about William where I was like, that's a wonderful one-touch pass. He's starting to move the ball backwards and forwards. Sabios is getting closer to Willian. That's two technical players. Let's get an overlap going now. That's a cutback from the byline. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, Toby, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think they're in a very, very, very low ebb. I think that when you're in a low ebb, things don't go for you, and I think really nothing is is going for us at the moment. We've had enough conversations about Arteta in and Arteta out. Um, we've got about a minute left, Toby, and I just wanted to hit you with one last, one last very quick question. You've got the last sure. minute. Sure. A lot of people calling for Rafa Benitez, Toby. A lot of people saying, get Arteta out, get Benitez in. Uh, are you in agreement or do you disagree with this statement? Rafa Benitez is a passive manager. He's a defensive manager. And if he comes in and takes over Arsenal, he's very likely to just do what Arteta was doing at the end of last year anyway, because there's no real attacking assets to work with. Um, yeah, so I wanted Rafa before Arteta. I thought it would have been a real safe bet. I thought what he did at Newcastle was incredible. Um you know, and that organisation, but it, it's it's that and his legacy from his Newcastle days that would tell me everything Arteta has done to to fix our problems and shore us up defensively. The outcome has been our poor attacking performance. So now it's his job to tweak us again and get us more confident moving the ball forward. I, I'm 100% positive and in agreement from what your statement was that Rafa would have taken exactly the same approach, but you've got a, an aging guy at the end of his career rather than an emerging guy at the beginning of his management career. So if you're going to get the same result, because that's the logical thing to do with this squad of players. And really we're in limbo now until the next contract year where we can get rid of the dross and that will be the exciting part. So we need to survive and to back an exciting, emerging, up-and-coming manager with modern tactics that's understudied to the best rather than a guy who I wanted over Arteta in the first place who would come in and do the same thing. I just don't reckon that's yeah. wise. And that's, to, just to end and put a final note, that's reactionary and that's us as fans wanting a solution and wanting an immediate solution because we feel shit at the time of losing a game. That's not a logical perspective. I'll tell you this, and then we'll finish up, Toby. This football club aren't getting relegated. What I saw against Everton shows that Arteta hasn't lost them, or he certain hasn't lost all of them. They ran hard for him. They tried hard for him. If they put that amount of output that they put into the Everton game and they applied that to even 50% of the games for the rest of the season – we will win games, we'll draw games, and we won't get relegated. Now, I'm not saying that Mikel Arteta should be the manager in 2021, but sure as fuck booting him out now and getting someone in to maybe get us from 15th until 10th and running the risk of that manager 
not being the right manager again, but being the manager that's available and then trying to get him to buy more fucking players in 2021 so it's another manager's worth of players is a fucking terrible idea. Now, if you get to 2021, Mikel Arteta can't get any any juice out of the orange and he ends up finishing 15th or 16th, gets no, nothing. And like I said, we're not getting relegated. Shut the fuck up. It won't happen. I swear if it happens, I will, I will live get a Prince Albert piercing through the eye of my cock on Arsbros if we get relegated. I fucking stand by that. Live, I'll fucking take the computer wherever. I'll get a thing put in my dick. I've got a baby coming. My wife doesn't touch my dick anymore anyway. I will fucking do that. But what I don't want to see happen is something like we bring in an interim manager now instead of waiting to the end of the year when the manager merry-go-round goes round again and we end up with a Rafa when we should end up with is getting the end of the year and getting a Tuchel or getting the end of the year and maybe getting you know an Allegri who I don't think is a smart decision anyway because of budgets and money and what he wants to do with the club. But I'm just saying that what you are going to get as an interim is not going to be the guy to take you forward. So let's just get down with what we've got. We're not going to get fucking relegated. See you in 2021. And back the kids. Woohoo. Woohoo. Wait, I got a quick one. Banners. Wait for it. Wait for it. Hey, chubby for That's the kids. It. This has been an Ask Brothers Rankcast. We will catch you on the next one. We're going to try and knock one out, I think, the day after New Year's Day. Last year, Toby and I were pretty rat shit, but we got one out regardless. Um, I don't think Scunny's going to do a Friday one, but we shall see. Uh, stay tuned. Jump on the Twitter, at uh, the Ask Brothers. Uh, follow us. Get all of our content, everything. Go fuck yourselves. Drink a beer. Happy birthday. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Peace.